This week, we're going to talk a little bit about wellness. Wellness is one of those buzzwords, and it drives a $4 trillion industry. Where did wellness start, and how did it get to where it is today? Welcome to the Living Life Our Way podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you live intentionally. Our goal is to take back control of our lives by living life on our terms. Join us as we work towards living life our way. Welcome back. I'm Jeff. I'm Troy. And this week, a new book called The Wellness Trap came out by author Christy Harrison. And Harrison takes a rather provocative view of wellness. Um, In the book, she says, you might say that wellness is to true well-being what social media is to human connection, an ongoing attempt to attain the principle of the thing, which only sometimes succeeds and more often takes people further from their objectives to the tune of billions or even trillions of dollars per year. What do you think? Is wellness the social media of health? I think there's uh, some fairness to it when we when we read the book and, and talked a little bit about it. I think she makes some really strong points that the idea of kind of a broader holistic wellness has morphed into a place where it really is very specific and and really is almost more about how people are viewing you or the the image that you're portraying as opposed to what um those actions those behaviors are are actually doing for you in terms of making you more well overall yeah it's definitely come to kind of a head where the physical aspects of wellness in particular are almost more for other people than they are for yourself similar to how social media a lot of people say they're using instagram like a uh, journal and they might well be but in a lot of instances it's the likes that are kind of driving that continued use of social media more than the uh, internal remembrance aspect of social media. Sure. And and I will say one thing as I was reading the book that it was a good reminder for me that we always have to be careful. We, we n- normally have to, or we naturally have to paint in broad strokes. And in doing so, those, those kind of general stereotypes, even if they're accurate for a lot of people, there are going to be people that they're, they're not accurate for. So those that are going to the gym and, you know, posting all these pictures to Instagram, uh, you know, sure for them, uh, that, that exercise really may be just an exercise of, um, of, of trying to get more likes and get more attention where there's other people that are going to the gym. And that really is a place where they, are able to commune with themselves in a different way and really create wellness. So it, it, we do have to be a little bit careful that we, that we distinguish between kind of the general stereotype or a general, a generality um, while understanding that it's not true of, of all people. Yeah. So. And I do think the author does a pretty good job of that where she says kind of, this is where a lot of people fall into the trap, but it does just because, it doesn't work globally doesn't mean that for some individuals it does uh it it works just fine so right um i do think that that was an interesting insight that this book kind of gave me on wellness is yeah there's a lot of problems with it but that doesn't necessarily necessarily mean that on an individual basis these people are necessarily ill-intentioned or or whatever else or they're they're not getting out of it what what they need or what they want or what they say they are or what they say they are Yeah. So she kind of talks in the beginning about the history of wellness. So in 1959, uh, a Dr. Dunn who came forward and outlined in a paper he wrote called High Level Wellness, he kind of outlined the need for moving past just the physical realities of of health. Mm -hmm. In the 1950s and 60s and 70s, medicine was advancing at such a rate that I think a lot of people kind of felt like 
okay, yeah, physical aspects of health, they're taken care of. Now let's move into these other aspects, social, emotional, spiritual, kind of mental wellness uh, types of things. And he kind of outlined four issues. Um, the increasing interconnectedness through communication technologies, population boom and crowding, aging of the population, and rising tensions because of the tempo of modern life. And I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds exactly like what we're going through still today. Yeah, you know, here it is, whatever, 60, 70 years later, and what he was highlighting as things that we need to or should work to do better at, there's still the things today that we should work to do better at you know there's uh there, there's a lot of wisdom in in the kind of the broader view of things and what he saw as some of the obstacles to individual wellness overall wellness uh so he was he's a smart guy yeah <laughs> well and the the who the world health organization has in the preamble to their constitution kind of something that he takes as his calling card for wellness which is health is a state of complete physical mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease and infirmity right which is a, a really good reminder and and we've talked a lot about this even in advance of reading the book and sort of diving in specifically that we have these different life lenses that when we look at our lives through a particular lens whether it's financial or social or recreational or sort of this emotional spiritual mental our life looks different and we really might be doing really well in an area and, and looking through that lens, Hey, all's, all's great. Or conversely, we might say, golly, I, I, I'm not doing well in this particular area. Physically I'm, I'm overweight or I, I'm not as active as I'd like to be. And there's a, and the idea that, that I focus on that one part and sometimes to the exclusion of some of these other life lenses or some of these other uh, areas of our life. And I think, the reminder that that getting imbalanced by focusing too much attention on one of those lenses or you're focusing your uh, too much attention through a particular lens there's some dangers in it mm -hmm. you know and and it may not only not advance us to kind of that m more broad concept of of personal well uh, personal well-being but uh, or wellness but it it may actually move us further from that uh, that well that that idea of wellness definitely it was really interesting to see that kind of the pioneers of this wellness movement 60 years ago weren't really focused on any of the physical health where today it really is driven primarily by diet exercise kind of those physical aspects of wellness uh, sleep is another huge part of that wellness movement and i think it, it was interesting to read this book and think about what we're missing in terms of the mental, emotional, spiritual kind of wellness that uh, doesn't get quite as much attention, it yeah, seems like. Yeah, no, for sure. So um, she does talk about uh, a lot of interesting things in relation to our focus on the natural, kind of yeah. big pharma, anything that comes out of big pharma is a problem. And so we've moved almost exclusively to this kind of natural first movement. And she talks about it as um, kind of a problem, both from a regulation standpoint in terms of supplements and and uh, things like that and vitamins, but also in terms of kind of practices that we've taken out of Eastern medicine that we've kind of co-opted and moved into Western medicine without really understanding the full breadth of it. Uh, did you have any thoughts about any of that? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think that her point was that there's been a, in the well, wellness movements 
for sure, but even I would say societally more broadly, a um, um, uh, vilification of 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 big pharma and of kind of what we'd refer to as Western medicine. That those those things they're they're viewed by a lot of people very negatively. Yeah, and that the opposite is viewed as this idea of of the natural, but also kind of Eastern or more traditional, uh, maybe older uh, yeah. approaches to to health and wellness, and and we've sort of lionized those uh, those concepts, and and I think that it for me one of the important things, and we'll dive a little bit more into to, to some of the more specific um, issues that that raises, but one thing that as I was reading it and, and maybe one issue that I took, uh, with, with the book was this notion that we sort of have to, um, vilify one side and, and, you know, kind of celebrate the other where, um, for every problem we can point out with the wellness movement and, and some of the natural and all of that, we certainly can look at some of the, uh, the errors over time that have been made by, by Western medicine and big pharma and, 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 you know, even science generally, the FDA and uh, the Department of Agriculture. There's a lot of fingers to be pointed in terms of (laughs) mistakes that have been made over the years. So I I didn't love the fact that it was, her perspective was very, very clear. And I think she attempted to draw a balance, but it, in the end, it felt pretty one-sided and I don't know that that's ultimately all that helpful even though some of the points that you raised that we'll talk a little bit more about are are really valued I I mean there's there's a lot of charlatans (laughs) a lot of snake oil salesmen that uh that have uh, have found their way into the wellness area that uh that have either are misapplying or misunderstanding or or misrepresenting um some elements of of some of these traditional wellness practices that uh, that unfortunately they're doing it for profit and and I think that point is certainly fair to make. Yeah, I, it's a really tough balance to draw because I don't think at least I personally don't believe that there are very many people out there who are inherently trying to sabotage others um others health and wellness for personal gain. I think that a lot of people believe that what they're doing is right and it's just like you said with science you can find a study to back whatever belief you have. Right. And I think if you get to a place where you kind of disacknowledge that there's a second uh, perspective, view, yeah, yeah. viewpoint or perspective, that you end up getting into kind of this trap where you become uh, dogmatic. Yeah, really. exactly. Means, yeah. That you, you, there's some real peril there. Yeah, I, I agree. So uh, again, kind of that is maybe a, 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 a broad but soft criticism of the book that um i i will say if you are if you're looking at reading it um it, there, lots of great stuff super interesting things i think it's well researched but be aware that there are there's an agenda i mean there's a, a very strong perspective and there is a lot of sort of um i would say probably unnecessary vilification. Yeah. Um, it gets quite political, which I think would probably be off-putting to, to some people. Um, 
but uh, regardless but, of political affiliation, regardless of political affiliation, for sure. But I, I, I guess you know that is the to me a bit of the unfortunate thing is instead of just saying you know one side sort of has all all the good and is largely noble, even though in fairness she does acknowledge some problems with big pharma. But uh, any time that you get in a place where you're saying, you know, I have absolute truth and anyone that, that agrees with me or disagrees with me is, you know, has bad intentions or is, is you know, misapplying science. It's always a little bit perilous. And I think she approaches that line a little bit more than I think would have been necessary. Yeah, I, I agree. But so one of some of those natural practices that she goes through, one of them is ayahuasca, which is a psychedelic uh, herbal drug plant that they use in South America. And there's been these retreats, these wellness retreats where people will go and do this, this drug yeah. um, in, in the name of healing. And when she talked to people who, or researched in conversations with people who have used this traditionally, it's actually only the healer that does the drug in these ritualistic healings, not the people who are doing it. So it's one of those kind of misapplications. I think a lot of people call it cultural appropriation. That's the term she used throughout the book, yeah. But really, it's more of the cultural misapplication or misunderstanding, misrepresentation, yeah. That it really gets you into trouble with some of these things. Yoga is another great example where I maybe knew this uh, anecdotally, but yoga has eight tiers of kind of hierarchical, hierarchical, uh, hard word to say. Yeah, sure is. (laughs) Tenants that are meant to be followed in order. Uh And the third of which is the physical movements. The fourth of which is breathing. And when I hear about yoga in commonplace, it's only those two things. Right. The breathing exercises and the physical movements. And Mm. so, We've kind of taken something that we view as traditional and natural and longstanding that we're just taking kind of what we want out of it in right. Western culture. That's what she talks about. A yeah, lot and it. I think that, you know, again, she uses the, the, the term cultural appropriation, which I think is a different concept than what she's really highlighting, which is we're, we're not understanding what they're saying. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're, we're, we're doing it differently than what that concept is. So we're taking the name. Yes. We're, we're using yoga. But what we're doing isn't yoga. And, um, and so, I, I, you know, I think that the, the flip side of the coin is it, it's not necessarily bad. I mean, to, to suggest no. that, uh, that a traditional yogi pro, yoga practitioner, a yogi, uh, you know, is going to be offended that someone's stretching and calling it yoga, I, I, I mean, gosh, I would hope we'd have thicker skin than that. I mean, they, they would probably look at us with some level of pity that we didn't understand, you know, the broader yeah. concepts and all the Absolutely. benefits that would come from, from doing the whole thing. But, you know, I, I feel like it's, again, one of those kind of unnecessary things to be so pejorative about, oh, you say yoga and all you do is stretch and breathe. Well, okay, well, you know, stretching and breathing is probably still a good thing even, yeah. on, you know, on its own. But her point is a really valid one that we take that and wellness sort of isolates these things that probably are a little bit more commercial, commercial, you know, that you can monetize and that are a little bit simpler to, to explain and a bit more digestible. And now that's what they deliver to the, you know, to the market. So I think that is a really fair point that she's making is that we're, 
we're we're not accurately reflecting it. We're not really serving. We, I'm saying the we, but the wellness community isn't really serving those that we are seeking to serve because we're delivering delivering only the appetizer, not the you know not the full meal. Yeah, it's. I mean, with yoga, there's all these great health benefits that we see from traditional practitioners of yoga in Eastern cultures. And then we bring it over and we only take half of it and say, you can get the same benefits, but I think it's a lot of times trying to make it more digestible for our Western culture and the spirituality and sense of world and community just isn't as much a part of it. And so kind of taking it out makes it a lot more digestible for for us in Western culture who yeah. maybe don't want that. It's all Harder. the rest. Yeah. That you, and, and I think two points, one, getting back to the idea that wellness is social media. Um, there's no two ways about it. <laughs> that, that, that having a class where you're all stretching and, you know, and going through a, a, a flow. Um, not only is that easier to do as a group, but in terms of photos and videos and what, I mean, that's, you know, that's just something that has a little bit of play. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but then the, the second point again, and I don't think that we should overstate the fact that it's, it's, it's monetizable. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think that that's an important point that she makes is that a lot of the, the wellness community does look at how can I make a living, even if they're well-intended. Totally. How do we make a living trying to advance the wellness of other people? And some of the stuff, if if you don't have a market for it, I don't want to do levels seven and eight of yoga. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm I'm not going to try to force anyone to, and I can't make money, so... Um, so I, I, I think that those are fair acknowledgements that a lot of what we see in kind of the broad wellness thing from nutrition and exercise, everything else is a reflection of what the market is willing to pay money for. Totally. So that's one of the great criticisms of capitalism, but, uh, that's neither here. That's not for this podcast. Right. <laughs> Discuss that some other time. Um, so we kind of talked about this the in the beginning, kind of this flaw of the one size fits all right. approach. Um, it, it really is kind of, she makes this point a lot that kind of our ideal, the Western ideal, uh, and modern ideal of health is skinny, really muscular toned. Um, and that, that kind of one size fits all, this is what you should be can be damaging in a lot of ways for other people. Not only can it be damaging in terms of setting up an ideal that may not actually be your ideal and and sort of chasing it, even though it's not providing you the value back. We've talked a lot about this, this notion of return on investment and what actually, what the actual costs and what the return is, what value it brings to you. If you're chasing an ideal that isn't your ideal and spending a bunch of time and energy and you're not getting that payback, I mean, that's, that's, that's a bad thing, you know? So I think that, that the image of, of this ideal and, and really not analyzing does it work for us is really important. I think another important element of the one size fits all flaw is this idea that if it didn't work for me, then it must be, you know, must be voodoo. It must be, there must not be value in it. It must not work. And, you know, when you're talking about nutrition, she's a, 
uh, a, or a dietitian, a registered dietitian and has her PhD, um, you can talk to a hundred different dietitians who will all give you different answers to the same question. Totally. And part of it is their personal experience. Part of it is the curriculum that they went through. Part of it is their experience with, uh, you know, with clients yeah. and all of those are valuable, but they, they sometimes lead us to get very fixated on what does or does not work for us or what does or does not work for somebody that we know or, you know, whatever social proofing we're, we're testing it against. And, and we become really dogmatic and we don't accept the fact that something that is completely ineffective for me may work wonderfully for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And, and to not sort of have the humility to acknowledge that that one size doesn't fit all and and you know even in western medicine even in the most controlled of 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 um of scientific studies there's variability yeah. you know and there's going to be variability that's just not explainable other than individual variability yeah that's a beautiful thing because that allows us i mean it's it's a bad thing on the one hand because it increases confusion but it's a beautiful thing in that it, it allows us and encourages us and empowers us to have that be our test. Is, is it working for me? And that's the important element of identifying those ideals or, or kind of your molos. Is it moving you towards it? Yeah. If it is, it doesn't matter if it hasn't worked for anyone else ever. Yeah. If it works for you, that's a good thing. Yeah. That's a, that's and you a don't need thing. to go foisting it on other people that's i think where a lot of people 100%. really get into that's where a lot of this comes from is someone finds something that works for them and then they immediately turn around and they're like hey one i can make money doing this and two i this should work for everyone else because it worked for me and, and not only that i have to tell you that everything else every other thing yeah is bad or isn't as effective as this you know i mean yeah. it becomes this sort of idea competition and and my idea can win only if every other idea loses. Totally. And, and you know, when you look at the individualization, um, just the reality of individualization of, of results and of effort and of interest and everything yeah. else, of course, every, all different ideas should win because they will win for different people in different ways. Absolutely. So the, the one piece of that that I think is important is she, um, and, and I hear this a lot, um, this this notion that a, really a disparaging um, view of this this placebo this concept of placebo yeah and she talked a, a fair amount about um, trauma you know and she had had some trauma it, it, she didn't ex explain what it is but it had some trauma and um, talked about some of the other emotional or mental challenges that she dealt with and. It got me thinking a little bit that we are, are have become, and I think it's a good thing as a yeah. society, we've become aware of the physiological impacts of some of these mental or emotional issues, whether it's trauma or stress or depression, anxiety, you know, and any of those elements. And we say those are things that are thought-based, you know, they're yeah. brain-based, whatever we want to call it, but have physical manifestations, you know, physiological yeah. manifestations. And that's true. And those are negative manifestations. But I think there's a, um, a tendency oftentimes in 
Western medicine, <laughs> and, and she, to me, felt like she was doing this, of dismissing the other side of that coin, which is the positive. She talked about um, that book called The Secret and the idea of you know, having positive thoughts. Yeah. Manifesting. Uh, manifesting, yes, exactly. And I, I will say that, that The Secret, and we talked a little bit about one of her other books, Magic, way too mystical for my tastes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are too many occurrences where people dismiss a positive wellness or even positive health outcome as placebo, almost disparagingly, almost saying yeah. that's a bad thing. And, and as she was talking a little bit about trauma and whatnot, I thought, you know, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense that we're so fixated. She talked about, you know, uh, 15 years worth of, of yeah. psychoanalysis and, and the benefits. And I'm delighted that, you know, it had a positive effect for her. But at the same time, to dismiss people that have found ways to create a positive physiological mm-hmm. impact by, again, kind of brain-based um, uh, states of being or whatever, we, I, I think that there's a disservice there. Yeah, I know? mean, she talks about the care effect, um, which is something I'd never heard of, but that a lot of times that people go to these integrative or functional medicine providers, medical providers, and they go into their appointment and it's a 45-minute appointment and they feel completely heard and they walk out and that, that care, that, that uh, perception that they're being cared about actually does have physiological downstream pain relief effects. Right. And she kind of dismisses that as, well, now these people are leaning into... Well, that it's fake. Yeah. I mean, that, oh, sure, they feel better, but it, it doesn't make them better. It's fake. Yeah. And she doesn't really take that hard of a line okay, on that. Okay, fair enough. But she kind of says, yeah, it makes them feel better. It may not cure their cancer, but that that's one of the negative things that pushes people into that integrative medicine where now they're saying, no, I don't want to rely on any traditional, uh, traditional medicine because my cancer, I feel a lot better when I see my functional doctor or my integrative medicine doctor. And so there is some, some danger in that, but I think that discounting that and saying, well, yeah, that's, that's not helpful is also like the power of positive thinking can go way too far to where people just say like, I can wish away my, uh, yeah, my cancer or wish in financial wealth, whatever. Right. But at the same time saying that that's not something that exists while the opposite is, I think it does really do a disservice to all, all individuals. Well, and, and just looking at it, and we've talked a lot about this outside of this book, but a, a lot of what we've seen in our life, whether it be gratitude or some of these other practices of just allowing your focus to be on things that are moving you towards you towards what you want towards your molos there is a power there yeah you know and i'm not saying a mystical power or whatever else but some of it is you will you'll notice more of what you look for yeah it's like driving a car yeah if you turn your head you steer in the direction you're looking right and so if you're looking for negative stuff you're gonna experience more of that because of your life lens sure um, so, so um, bottom line is just drawing a dichotomy saying the answer is in one place or the answer is in the other place. Western medicine or these alternative medicines is an unfortunate, everyone loses by that. If yeah. there's something that can be learned from the placebo effect or from the community aspect of being heard, if there's any positive that can come from that, that ought to be leveraged by Western medicine and not, vice versa. Not disparage. And, that- 
and exactly the same on the alternative medicine side of things. Yeah, so. a lot of lessons to be learned on, on both sides. And right. a lot of, I think, maybe uh, hubris that prevents that. But that's right. natural human tendency. And so, uh, but no it question. was, I mean, again, we, we did really enjoy, especially the beginning of the book, kind right. of this completely novel uh, thought process about wellness. Not that it's necessarily groundbreaking. Once you hear it, it's one of those things that, you think, oh, why didn't I think of that? Which is typically the sign of a great idea. Yeah. Um, it does kind of get a little bit political and a little one-sided in terms of the argument uh, as the book progresses. So uh, take that all for what it's worth. But uh, we, it, it sparked a great conversation today. And it, so it, we do appreciate that. For sure. And, and I would say my takeaway in terms of recommending it, uh, if it's something that you're really interested in, of course, reading anything is a, is a good thing. Um, I probably would say find a magazine article summarizing it, you know, get on Blinkist yeah. something. I, I, it, it was, it probably wasn't my favorite or it was not my favorite book. So, yeah. But, but on that note, let's finish with Tuesday's top performers. So mine this week comes from Hayden Hillier Smith. Um, he put out a video this week, um, where he took a scene from a John Wick movie and completely redid the sound design. So he turned off all of the audio and just had the video playing, and then he goes through each level of the sound design. So there's like swords and um, different things, that, body parts that he goes through and does each layer of the sound design. And man, it is just so incredible to watch a great editor work uh -huh. just in their own environment. It it was It's a really engaging movie. He or a video. It's a really engaging video. He makes it really funny too. Um, but man, it, it's just, it's such an aspirational thing for me to get better at editing. So but, and there's so much that goes into it. Yeah. yeah no question. My mind. Uh, mine is a little bit uh, weird. I was uh, making an omelet and happened to ha have next to me a, a protein shaker, one of those shaker bottles that has the little wire whisk ball in it. And I thought, I wonder if you know, how this would work for just scrambling eggs. So I put my eggs in there, shook it up, and it was magic. I mean, it was life-changing. Awesome way to scramble eggs in a, in a protein bottle. And, and the takeaway that I had uh, from that, even though that's just a cool little hack, is there's, there's a lot of ways that we can improve our life if we are, increase our intentionality, if we're just looking for ways to solve problems in our lives, big or small, super small problem in that case, but big or small, if we're really looking and saying, what do we want more of, less of, you know, how do we want to improve things? Um, our, our, our brains are remarkable at finding uh, unexpected solutions. So that was my encouragement from the week was to be better myself at, at looking at ways to, to, um, to improve my life in yeah. simple, unexpected ways, so. Yeah, well, if you're still here with us at the bitter end, we are so grateful that you've made it this far. Sorry today was a little bit of a ramble, but um, we do really appreciate you. We'd appreciate it if you subscribe or leave us a review. A review really helps us grow on Apple and Spotify, the audio platforms, and subscribers really help YouTube recommend these videos to others, so that's the best way. If if you don't want to do that, share it with a friend who might who might be too into wellness. And, or who might really like omelets and is looking for a better way to scramble eggs. And uh, we appreciate it, and we'll see you in the next one.